Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast. Mike Lewis, Doug Battle, Emory Marketing Analytics Center. Uh, website www.fandomanalytics.com. Any other housekeeping, Doug? No other housekeeping on my end, Mike. Okay. Okay, Doug. It's a uh, we're in the middle of well, like, we're in the middle of the spring. There's uh, some niche fandom stories that I find interesting, and then of course we got the NBA playoffs. We got the NFL draft coming up. I'll just start throwing these things at you, and you can respond with as little interest as you want to in terms of some of these stories. But I think they. I think they matter, but I also think disinterest is actually kind of a uh, legitimate reaction. Tyson Fury defended his heavyweight championship, um, claims now to be retiring. I can't find pay-per-view buy rates anywhere. Seems like the buy rates were pretty good in England, where Tyson Fury is, of course, from. Relatively low in the U.S. I saw one estimate of 300,000. That makes it about a fifth of what Logan Paul will draw in the pay-per-view game. Doug, heavyweight champion of the world, does that even mean anything to your generation? Because that used to be one of the truly iconic parts of the world of sports. Right. Yeah, I, I would say no to, for, for the general generation. Um, Tyson Fury, it's a name, I guess, that everyone's heard enough that they're, they're familiar that he is a fighter i don't know if people could put a name with a face i think if you had a picture of 10 guys and one of them was tyson fury i think most people in my demographic probably could not okay identify and, th- and that's fury. interesting let me add a little color to it because i don't know that most people would could know who tyson fury is tyson fury is six foot nine barely in shape incredibly <laughs> outgoing flamboyant at, at the weigh-ins in some ways he's I think he might be a gypsy too. Um, in some ways, an incredible character in one of the most glamorous parts of all sports and no real pay-per-view interest throughout his entire, throughout his entire career. Now he's done well in England, but of course that's not where the, that's not where the big money is. Yeah. And to me, it seems like this might be a generational thing, Mike, and it could be, subject of future research but i i know that mma uh probably isn't yet at the level boxing's at but it seems like mma is probably on the rise with the younger gen- generations whereas boxing uh there's just less interest for whatever reason and it's crazy because i mean we all grew up with boxing films rocky being the obvious one but there's probably been 15 i've watched in my lifetime uh that that have come out and boxing's kind of the iconic form of fighting and yet MMA has, has generated a lot more enthusiasm. At least they may, may not have the number of pay-per-views at this point in time, but certainly seem to be on a trajectory to surpass boxing, at least with the younger demographics. I, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but if you were to just list boxers, how many could you come up with? Just a handful. Modern day box, like today's boxers. Yeah. Handful. Handful. handful? And, and would Logan and um, Jake Paul intrude? Well, I mean, just would they intrude on that list? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely two that come to mind. Did you see? Uh, did you see Tyson in a boxing match on a JetBlue flight? <laughs> no. Oh, you didn't see this? Oh, wait, wait, wait. When he hit the passenger? Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking an actual boxing match or something. Um, yes, I did see that, and I've seen a lot of commentary about how people these days. Because of social media, have forgotten that you can't just disrespect a guy like that and not expect to get punched. You can't poke a tiger. Yeah, yeah. It's um interesting. At least, well, I don't even think it's interesting. But my reaction is completely different from the Will Smith, Chris Rock fisticuffs. <laughs> in that, also, I really don't care about the guy that Tyson hit. Yeah, I I would agree. I mean, I it's I think most people that watch it is like, I mean, yeah, he was basically asking for it. Yeah, <laughs> it is like it's like poking a bear. Like, yeah. what, what do you expect? Yeah. Okay. So that's that's boxing. And like I said, I don't know what it. I don't know what it means. It it, it seems like there, some sports may be heading towards obscurity. I don't know that there's a single boxer 
you know, Canelo Alvarez is going to do well with the Hispanic audiences, but there doesn't seem to be a mainstream boxer left in the world that can do pay-per-view numbers. And I don't know, I don't know that one's coming. And your point about UFC is pretty apt because UFC has this marketing machine that they can sort of just keep running and they can develop the talent and they can develop the brands. How is boxing going to get back into that, into that picture? Short of someone like a Mike Tyson coming on that's just visually so stunning and impressive, I don't, boxing may be, you know, fading towards obscurity. Yeah, and I guess for me, I just I feel like the if let's say there were a next Mike Tyson, I think they'd be just as likely to fight MMA as they would traditional boxing. Um, and I think that's part of the problem. I think a lot of the talent is attracted to UFC for whatever reason. And and I've noticed you, you mentioned it kind of being a marketing juggernaut. UFC has their own gyms and these aren't just boxing i mean weightlifting gyms all over the country where they're ingraining in, in people's minds you know that this is this is what it means to be an athlete and so th there's something i mean they are on to something with ufc that you know they're tapping into something that the boxing just is not and it's becoming it, boxing i guess as a result is becoming less relevant to you could, culture you know what you could add to that you could add joe rogan to that UFC yeah. announcer with the biggest podcast in the world. Yep. I, and I think you're right. I think if you look at fighting gyms over time, the boxing gym has disappeared or at least morphed into an MMA gym. And I think there's mm -hmm. far more, you know, there's more of an MMA pipeline coming up for, mm -hmm. for a bunch of reasons. Now, oddly and strangely, I think MMA is also considered a little bit safer in terms of, you know what? I, I shouldn't even say that. Cause it's like, just going to get in trouble. But in terms of the <laughs> concussion issues, I suspect that MMA is actually a little bit safer than boxing. So, you know, there's also a pathway for wrestlers to get into it. Um, so, you know, there, you think about the, the funnel that goes into MMA is much larger than the funnel that goes into boxing. And it's, uh, you know, t t it, I can only think of cliches at the moment, but Boxing has got to struggle moving forward. Okay, yeah, Doug. and I got I got one more thing on this. Um, this will start out like it's not on topic, but I promise it's going somewhere. I was watching the bonus features for the Batman because I am a film buff <laughs> and I loved the film. And Matt Reeves, the director, was talking about their idea for the character and his fighting style, and the goal was for him to perform and fight like a UFC fighter, like an MMA fighter. So it's interesting to me because I, I think if you look back at action movies in the past, um, boxing was often the style of fight in the film and cinema. And the fact that in something as big as Batman, there's kind of this intentional transition to like, maybe people like this style of fighting. Maybe this communicates and, and resonates with our audience even more um, in this day and age. So uh, another little indicator that, you know, mixed, I, I guess you know MMA and, and UFC um, are have an increasing influence on culture, whereas boxing is is maybe falling down. But you know, like you said, nothing more iconic than boxing in, in terms of let's say the movie industry, right? Right. It, you know, there, there's there's something special about that. So it's like a lot of these things, culture drifts where it ends up. Yeah, kind of a mystery. Um. Okay, Doug. And I hate to I kind of hate to do this one too. Okay. The um, yeah, like I, I don't want to root against these expansion football leagues because it strikes me as one of the most amazingly difficult challenges out there, and people line up constantly to do it. You know, to mm -hmm. take a swing to create a to create another professional league or another professional football league, but. I'm now fascinated by the USFL because of all the the stuff they do with the video and the audio. I mean, they're they're pushing the limit on that stuff, mm -hmm. but occasionally they show the crowds, and they had and again this just gets they just start to get weird. So did you know that there was a battle of Pennsylvania in the USFL this weekend? <laughs> I did not know that. Okay, so it was the USFL. Oh, had anything going on? This it weekend. was the Pittsburgh Maulers. <laughs> 
versus and again, you know, like I said, it's 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 tough. You want to pay enough respect to what's going on, but I don't know. So it's the Pittsburgh Maulers versus the Philadelphia somethings. And when they showed the crowd, there were tens of people. I mean, this this was not a hundreds of people situation. And this was right. all over Twitter as well, that there was essentially no one in the building for the Battle of Pennsylvania that took place in Birmingham, in Birmingham Alabama. Right? <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at crowd shots as we speak. <laughs> it... uh. I, I've been to some high school state championships in Alabama um, in, in some of those larger stadiums that had larger attendance. Oh, I've been to I've been to my daughter's varsity lacrosse games at Walton High School here in Georgia and seen larger crowds than it looks like. Yeah, I would I would venture Philadelphia to guess Stars that Stars versus the Pittsburgh Maulers. My little league flag football games probably did about as well as the USFL did in Birmingham. I think part of the problem is the games are in Birmingham. I was speaking with my father about this because he lives in Birmingham and he was bringing it up. And he told me there, uh, this was a couple weeks back, I think, there was a triple header that they were doing. And one of the games involved the Birmingham team, but two of the games involved four teams that had no local affiliation. Um, and so you get a group of people in Birmingham to get together and watch three football games in a row between not not only brands that we're not familiar with, but cities that people have never been to or or that have no relevance to the people in Birmingham. And so to me, that seems like it's set up to fail. Okay, well, let me let me follow up on that because the crowd for the Birmingham Stallions versus the Houston Gamblers. Again, I haven't seen numbers, but far more dense. I mean, thousands and thousands of people, you know, maybe maybe 20 plus thousand folks. And so, Doug, here's here's the oddness of this. All eight teams are located in Birmingham, but the Birmingham people are only coming out for the team that is labeled Birmingham. Birmingham, <laughs> even though they're all playing in Birmingham. And they're brand uh, new. <laughs> Maybe maybe the solution is to name every team Birmingham something. <laughs> the, the Birmingham Bombers versus the Birmingham Ballers and the Birmingham Stallions against the Birmingham Breakers. Uh, maybe, maybe that's what generates the local interest in the area. But it's tough, man. I, but here's my question. Who are the investors for these minor league football like it, just looking at it from a business, every time it gets off the ground and it actually happens, but it takes some money to do that. And I'm, I, and I'm just looking at it like, who's looking at this and saying, okay, I think this is going to pay off for me. I think this is going to, this is going to hit it big. I, I, I honestly don't know. It's, it's one of the things that I've always, it's always been a mystery and why I'm, I'm fascinated by this stuff as well. Yeah. Is when I think through the, the marketing side of this in the idea of developing a fan base for a new football team or i mean pick pick whatever league you want Bas you know a new basketball league i don't know that the let's put it this way i don't know that there's anything if you think of it like fandom as a grocery store i don't know that there's any empty shelf space mm -hmm. i don't think folks are looking for you know a a second a spring football team or a professional lacrosse team or 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 anything like this I would say, and I mentioned this to you um, just over text when we were discussing this last week, but I, I feel like lacrosse would probably be a better investment just because you have the pin. The, it's a growing sport um, in, in the country, and it, it, you are dealing with the best of the best in lacrosse, whereas in professional football, you've got an entire NFL of players and then a lot of college football players that are going to be in the NFL. And so by the time you get to a minor league, you know, your best player in the league might be the 2000th best player in the country in, in football. And that is, that's if the best non-NFL players aren't going to the Canadian leagues or, or to different foreign leagues or um, even different sports. And so 
I don't know what the appeal is there. Whereas with lacrosse, for like a, a kid that plays lacrosse, it could be fun to go watch the best lacrosse players in the world play. Uh, for a football player, you know, I don't know if you aspire to go watch the 2000th best wide receiver in the country who's 36 catch a touchdown or two. I, I think that's dead on, right? I mean, in, in any of this stuff, like the, you know, college sports will work for a lot of reasons. One, it's, you know, you have these natural built-in affiliations with the, the universities, right? You want to see right. Georgia basketball or Illinois football in my case. And notice how I reverse those. And, but, you know, but that's also sort of a pathway, right? That those are kind of development and getting to the next, the next level. And they're also the best in their kind of age bracket, or at least historically, that that's where they were. Here, you start this out, and the Birmingham Stallions name means nothing. Maybe it means something to some old folks that remember the USFL of the 1980s. The talent is, and I don't mean that, you know, I hate when people say this kind of stuff, but the talent is second rate. I don't, not, no criticism there. It's just not the elite talent. And in fact, in the state of Alabama, it's worse than the college game, largely, I think. Oh, yeah. And so what is there, this is the, this is the question, what is in this, what are they providing that they think people are going to get fired up about? Yeah. And I don't, I, and I don't think there's ever anything in, you know, you know you're doing something like, like lacrosse. Your, your point is well taken. You can in, you know, there's a potential there. In some ways, the question is, do you have enough money to invest into getting to that potential point down the road? Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone does, right? Because yeah. Phantom, you need history and you need, you need a bunch, of, you need the stars to align in all these dimensions. Right. Um, yeah. Well, I, I will say this in regards to USFL. First off, personally my only pull to it is watching former players of the college that i went to so like davin bellamy for example who by the way is way too good if davin if you're listening davin's a friend uh way too good to be playing in the usfl and so i hope he gets a shot in the nfl but i i do get a kick out of watching him especially where how they're miking him up and and showing how much trash he's talking on the field and how much he's dominating um so i think the college tie is like one little value i don't know what one place where fans find value in that kind of league um but it's it's not offering anything that the nfl doesn't or except for just the guys that can't that aren't in the nfl i'm gonna root for the usfl to make it to season two just so we can have the unique situation of having the xfl playing and the usfl playing at the same time (laughs) which is like makes it more interesting to me because I think it's hard enough to break through as a minor league uh, with football, but having multiple minor leagues with football is is a whole nother. I, it's like it splits the vote. It's like when there's two candidates that run on the same platform. So we'll see what happens. I still think if you're going to make it as a minor league in football, it has to be radically different. Like I, I'm not saying it has to be flag football or like arena football where you run on the walls or but like there's got to be something like let the players fight in between plays like they do in hockey do something do something where it's, it's just radically different than normal football that makes it intriguing to the casual viewer because if it's just poor man's nfl that's all it's gonna be you know a couple of years ago in atlanta they had a lingerie football team that i mean <laughs> radically different radically different i don't think it lasted <laughs> Okay, Doug, the other one, sort of fandom story. And I don't think people view it as a fandom story. I think they view it as a media story, and I think that's where they're getting it wrong. CNN Plus, a streaming service that, as I understand it, took existing CNN talent, brought in a few more people, let them do more long-form type of programming of content, and then they sold it as a streaming service, invested $300 million into the project, canceled it within 30 days um seen some reports that less than 10,000 people were watching at any moment other reports suggest that well this was the brainchild of the previous cnn management and new management wanted to start over okay a subscription service for cnn 
right off the bat, Doug, that sounds like a terrible idea to me. I think it sounds like a terrible idea to lots of people uh, based on the social media posts I've seen in regards to this story. But I, I think the bottom line with news and a lot of media these days, to, to be quite frank, even looking into uh, the music industry, for example, when people are used to consuming something for free and somebody comes out with an idea to sell them that same thing, uh, it's usually not well received. Okay, so here's what I think CNN was seeing. Well, I, I think there's a couple of things happening. One, I think everyone thinks that the future is subscription services, right? We don't want to try and just want to lock in people. We want, Doug, we want you to give us your $5 a month and just show up whenever, right? You can forget about yeah. even logging in. We would prefer to have $5 a month every month. Forever. Forever. That's, yeah. that's the business plan. But I also think that Fox created something, and I don't know fully the specifics of it, something called Fox Nation, which I think is mm-hmm. also a streaming service. Same, same price tag as CNN Plus. I'm now, seeing. And I think that begs the question of what's the difference between Fox viewers and CNN viewers. And I can imagine, look, when I hear those two things, I think, yeah, of course Fox is going to have a much better shot at that than CNN is. Right? That the, the Fox viewer is sort of this, oh God, I, I feel like I'm going to get in trouble with the language here. But in some ways, the Fox <laughs> viewer is this marginalized consumer that almost views Fox News and that Fox programming as a refuge. And so they are more legitimately fans of, you know, the Fox and Friends and the Tucker Carlson. And they sort of, you know, Fox is almost more of a lifestyle brand than CNN. Right. Fox is a lifestyle brand. CNN is something I have to watch when I'm in the airport kind of brand. Yeah, I'll just like put it this way. I've heard the term Fox used to describe a person like, oh, he's like a Fox News guy. Uh, never heard that with CNN. So I, I think the bottom line is well, well, Fox. Hold on. What do you think that means? I think that's a good observation. What do you think? What does that mean to you? Kind of what you were saying. It's a lifestyle brand. Like it, the kind, there's a type of person that gravitates toward it, and it somewhat defines them. I mean, you can almost imagine people wearing Fox News t-shirts, right? <laughs> right, just to show their allegiance. Yeah. Uh, I, but what I was getting to is, I think the bottom line is, Fox has a monopoly on just about half the country. Um, it's, if you split politically the country into two sides, one side there's a monopoly that they're really the only media source, major media source. And on, on the other side, there's quite a few options. And, so, and CNN being one of them, um, but CNN is not alone in, in its style of reporting and style of journalism and the the types of angles that are taken. And so F- Fox automatically has an advantage from that regard. Yeah, and I think there there is something more that, you know, Fox News is a, you know, when you start to put the label on people that that's a Fox News guy, you're almost saying, well, you're part of that Fox News community. Right. And I think that's kind of... Which comes to fandom, which is kind of... And I think that's a big thing, right? You're part of that Fox News community, and so I'm willing to invest in a streaming service that is about my community. And I do love the point, though, that in some ways, CNN doesn't sort of get the notion that they're much less unique and differentiated than Fox, right? That you can sort of get their get that kind of perspective anywhere where the Fox people are really kind of relegated to that one that one corner of the, well, of the internet or the cable TV dial. Right, right. Okay, Doug, so I think, look, I think really kind of interesting fandom stories going on, uh, trying to start a new league, trying to get into that fandom space. Maybe there's no room available. The potential fall of one of the most iconic parts of sports in the heavyweight, you know, heavyweight championship fights. and then. CNN, you know, the, the, you know, capturing two things. One, the notion of kind of fandom for a political point of view or a news point of view, but also running up against this move of everyone trying to go into the streaming space. So I think those are really significant stories, even though they are probably a little bit below the radar on most things. But mm-hmm. the thing that's got the the, the thing that is the, the, the prime story in the world of sports is, of course, the NBA playoffs. So, Doug, I, I mentioned to you, I thought 
at this point kind of seems chaotic to me. So can you put some uh, structure and perspective on what you think is happening so far? Well, I would say the biggest story right now is the Brooklyn Nets uh, facing a, a huge deficit against the Boston Celtics with the potential to be swept. Ben Simmons injured still, not playing. The Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving era in its second year. Um, and the Boston Celtics as uh, a kind of young... We, we talked about this a few weeks back. They're kind of the perennial young team, but a young team on the rise, but obviously a massive fan base, massive brand with the potential to, to make a finals run this year. So uh, I, I think the bigger story here is Lakers not making the playoffs, Brooklyn potentially getting swept. Is this the end of the super team era? Because those are the two super teams. Those are the two odds-on favorites to win the finals going into the season or to make the finals, both potentially out four games into the playoffs. What's the, what's the status of contracts at Brooklyn? Do you know? I mean, is, is there a chance that they'll dismantle the Nets? I think they're going to dismantle Steve Nash as the head coach. <laughs> That's usually the first person to yes, to to fall. Um, I don't know. I I'm not sure. Let's see. Kyrie four year contract. So he's a free agent in 2023. So he's got another season. Hey, well, I mean, Doug. Let me ask you this. I mean, do you think you know this this whole kind of big picture shift of player empowerment and the players kind of creating their own super teams you got to think that part of that you know when the players have that much control and that much power it probably leads to some of the problems that i think the super teams have had and i'm not talking about anything in particular but things like load management of i don't want to i don't want to wreck my you know i don't want to wear out my body so i'm not going to play with you know, any kind of small injury. Um, Kyrie feels like an over-empowered, look, you know I love Kyrie Irving, but he feels like an amazingly disruptive presence in some ways. Uh, Is this, uh, you know, LeBron James probably had too much power in terms of the Los Angeles Lakers. Have have we reached the point where the super teams kind of eat themselves alive? Yeah, I... I think that is the downfall of the super team because, and LeBron's the perfect example. We've seen time in and time out. Like, LeBron is the de facto GM of any team he's on. And so, when you sign a player, when you have a player like LeBron, you are forfeiting all of the expertise and knowledge and thought and analytics and all the rest that goes into building a team largely. Um, And so, it becomes LeBron's gut feeling is that he and his buddies that most people think are too old or most GMs would say, yeah, it's probably a bad idea. Uh, but LeBron knows these guys and, and he really feels like you're going off one player's feelings. He really feels like, oh, they can still, we've still got it. We can still win a championship. Well, we saw how that played out this, this year. Durant and Kyrie, um, I know it's, it's, I think at one point there was a quote um, with, one, with Durant saying they didn't need a coach. Uh, <laughs> but these are, these are two guys that really, think they can do it themselves and uh, they're both phenomenal basketball players and and we'll have to see what happens here uh in the remaining remainder of the playoffs but uh it, it looks as though they're finding themselves in a very similar situation where Durant left Golden State because he wanted to win one on his own Kyrie left Boston and Cleveland both uh, because he wanted to win one on his own and they joined voices together, which is kind of ironic because at that point they're not winning one on their own. And you've got two guys that kind of want to run the run the whole program. Um, and, and I don't know that they've had the 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 general manager powers that LeBron's had, but nevertheless, their their efforts and their decisions and moves and their chemistry and all the rest has put the Nets in an interesting situation here again revealing one of the downfalls of of building teams this way and uh ben simmons is not going to play it sounds like or is is that still ben simmons so ben simmons was supposed to be his first game was going to be game four uh i don't think the nets expected to go down three zero and when they went down three zero i was watching with a friend and i said 20 bucks 
Ben Simmons somehow gets injured between now and Tuesday because it seems like a disaster scenario to try out the Ben Simmons experiment in an elimination game of the playoffs. And sure enough, Ben Simmons wakes up with back pain. He's uh, got back soreness, I think was the diagnosis. And so he is currently out once again. He's been out all year. So, you know, Brooklyn is just... uh, Brooklyn just comes across as a pile of drama at this point. Yeah, and they've got they've got one more year of Kyrie on contract, and then I, I looked and Durant signed an extension the last offseason, so he potentially is going to be in Brooklyn through 2026. He'll be 37 years old. Well, um, okay. So what else do you think? What else is noticeable to you? I mean, I'm, I was watching uh, Miami versus Atlanta yesterday. Yeah. Doesn't seem yeah. um, seems uh, and again, I'm I'm a much more casual viewer than this. Doesn't seem like it's going to be a dramatic series. Seems like this is a Miami. Um, this is going to be a Miami victory pretty shortly here. Yeah, looking that way. Not the Trey Young mania that we had last year. Um, there, you know, some of these lower seated teams are. are giving the top guys a little bit more trouble than expected. I think the Pelicans, um, Dallas Mavericks are another one that that are making a little bit of noise. But at the end of the day, there's no sense of like, oh, one of these teams is going to make the finals. As far as the finals picture, everything, it's still the same couple of teams in the mix. Uh, but once again, the Phoenix Suns, that is not a super team that that will have a very legitimate shot. In the East, Boston is a team that's really been built organically through the draft. So that's that's two teams right there that are primarily built through the draft that very well could make the finals. Uh, Milwaukee, another team very much like that. Golden State, another team like that. And, and Golden State, I wrote an article before last season um, predicting a, a last dance for that team. Didn't come true last year, major part being the fact that Clay Thompson tore his ACL before the season. But that's a team that that hasn't been highlighted as much in recent years that very well could be in the finals this year as well. So um, a potential last dance for the Warriors, I think, is a huge story. And outside of that, it's it's not these big super team or, or big, you know, Kevin Durant, LeBron James brands in play. It's the Bucks, It's the Suns. It's the Sixers with, I mean, they have Embiid and Harden, but I don't think anyone would consider them a, a super team. So it's, I think there's, there's two sides to this. On one side, it's less interesting to the general public because they want LeBron versus Durant. They want Nets versus uh, Lakers. They want the big market and the, and the big brands. But I think to the true basketball fans, the true NBA fans, there's finally some parity in the NBA playoffs where we don't know what the finals matchup is going to be after round, or in the middle of round one, like we did a few years ago when it was always going to be Cleveland and Golden State. And so I think there's finally some parity in the league, and I, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, one particular series I'm enjoying is Timberwolves-Grizzlies, the young Timberwolves team, which I think we talked about either last week or the week, I guess it was the week before last week. Um, not a very disciplined team, but a very passionate and excited to be their team that has a lot of fight in them. And, and play some uh, entertaining brand of basketball um, that I think is is growing their fan base. I've heard a lot of buzz about the T Wolves this this off season or this postseason rather. Doug, I mean, for the last couple of years, we've been talking about the changing of the guard coming in the NBA. I think it yep. happened. Yeah, it, it didn't happen in a dramatic fashion. It was quiet. It was quiet. Yeah, it, it was it, quiet. But all of a sudden, you know, Durant and LeBron likely to both be out of the playoffs with the biggest names left. Guys like Devin Booker, John Morant, Joel Embiid, Luka Doncic. Well, I I think, and you tell me if I'm getting this wrong, I think we Giannis. now have a bunch of, we've gone from one or two or three guys to being the royalty to, of the NBA to there being about 10, 12 guys that are all at similar levels of stardom. They're, they are, and I think what's going to elevate one player, because it's just in the NBA's nature. I guess pre-Jordan, there was kind of an era where there were a lot of guys like Magic and Bird. Yeah, uh, I mean, there there were several eras where there were a handful of of now Hall of Famers that were kind of at the top of the league, and I like it that way. But it seems like in in the modern day with social media and modern branding uh, tools that one player tends to rise to the top. 
And I think what what differentiates one player from the next is championships. I think if Giannis Antetokounmpo runs it back this year, gets two in a row, you know, he's he's a two time MVP. He's he's very well positioned to set himself apart as the guy with with you know a, a handful of championships. But if if he fails to do that though, if it's just a one off thing last year, I think people look back on that year and say, hey, they they were really fortunate that the Nets had injuries and and this and that. And, you know, uh, I mean, but but in in the case of, and I'll let you say his last name. I'm not even going to attempt that. Antetokounmpo. Yeah, that. He doesn't speak much. Um, he plays in Milwaukee. Yeah. I don't. He's not. He's not your traditional LeBron. Like he. He's not what people are used to seeing. I will say this: if you ever watch him actually speak, um, or even follow any of his social media, he's he's one of the most likable guys in sports. So he he does have a big smile. He does, but he's not your classic. It's kind of like Jokic. Like he's not your classic guy that you build around. Like Jordan. And LeBron were both very obvious, appealing figures to the mass American public. Uh, I think for the league, it might be a, as much as guys like Giannis and Jokic are huge for the league because of their their ability to take the league global, which is the NBA's ultimate goal. I think um, within the states, you know, I, it's more of a challenge than say even a Steph Curry that that for whatever reason appeals to Americans uh, in a special way. Yeah, I, from a marketing perspective, and in some ways I kind of hate to go there, Giannis would be one of my least choices to move forward as a standard bearer for the yeah. for the league. It's, I, uh, you know, I mean, some of these other guys, you know, like Trey Young, I think would be, uh, Trey Young would be an amazing ambassador for the NBA, especially at what, five foot 11 and slight build, you know, be kind of... <laughs> Fun, but but I mean, look, I look at this and I look at what's left in here, and in some ways, I think you're dead on. This is great for the basketball fan. We now have it's almost like the old WWF, the battle royal now to see who the next star of stars is going to be. Um, where all these guys are essentially look, Doug. I look at this, I have no idea who's going to be in the finals, and it, the yeah. NBA hasn't felt that way in years and years. So it this hasn't. is a lot and- of fun, but. You know, who uh, will the casual fan come to this? And that's that's always the big question here. That is the big question. I think a, a player that we've forgotten as a standard bearer uh, for the NBA or, and who was really pegged as that guy, as that next LeBron, Jordan, Zion Williamson, uh, his team, the Pelicans, they're tied 2-2 with the number one seed in Phoenix Suns right now uh, in the Western Conference. So... Uh, that's another. That's a story that would be happening if they were tied two two and, and Zion were even out there. We'd be talking about all right. This guy's the future of the league. Um, that's been put on hold. Hopefully his his injury issues um, are, are fixed up. But I'll say it. I'm. I guess I, I know you don't like Giannis as a as the kind of next guy to represent the league. I like Giannis. And I, I am the per- type of fan that I like seeing the small market team succeed. I would rather see a Bucks player be the face of the NBA than a Lakers or Nets or Knicks or any of those major market teams. So I, I'm all for it with Milwaukee, and I'm very curious to see you know if they're able to continue their success um, or if last year was was more of a fluke. Well, I, I think you're. Um... I think you very well could see that. We're going to move away from the era of the preseason favorites being the Lakers, the Golden State Warriors, and the Brooklyn Nets to the preseason favorites being the Milwaukee Bucks, Phoenix, the Memphis Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. And it's much like the NFL where we've seen uh, Kansas City and Buffalo and, and some of these smaller market teams rise to prominence because they're the teams with the great quarterbacks. That's that's what's happening in the NBA, and of course in the NBA, these guys, a lot of these guys are on their first contract, and it, it'll be a matter of will they stay? You know, will John Morant stay in Memphis when he has the opportunity to go to Los Angeles uh, when when that day comes? Giannis did. Giannis stayed in Milwaukee, and it paid off for him. He won a championship. I think he's happy there. I don't think he has the aspirations to be a, a big movie star or anything like that. I think I think he's a humble guy that likes representing Milwaukee well, and and I appreciate that. 
Okay, Doug, so the NBA continues to evolve. And look, I think we're probably still in the narrative formation stage of the playoffs where, you know, the guys that win the first round, they will sort of be the, they'll, they'll get the spotlight for a while and we'll see how it plays out going forward. The other thing coming up this week is the NFL draft, one of the biggest days in all of sports. Yep. It's different this year, though, isn't it? I mean, last year with that quarterback class, with uh, you know Trevor Lawrence at the top and Justin Fields, Justin Fields moving up and down and Trey Lance coming out of nowhere and mm-hmm. Mac Jones, right? Great, great drama. I don't think there's nearly as much attention this year as we head into Thursday. No, I don't think so. And I, I think that's just reflective of the quarterback class. I think the NFL is all about quarterbacks. And I think this draft, whether or not these guys pan out, you know, there are a couple quarterbacks that, that very well have the potential to pan out, but they're not being pegged as this generational talent that Trevor Lawrence was. Um, or this champion future Tom Brady that Mac Jones was, or this Justin Fields, Cam Newton 2.0 slash a mixture of Cam Newton and Tom Brady. Like we were hearing all kinds of hype last year. This year, all I've heard is Kenny Pickett's hands are small. <laughs> as far as quarterbacks, it seems to be the biggest story. So uh, it's it's not as talked about. Um, I personally, as a Georgia Bulldogs fan, I feel like it's going to be a, a nice little three-hour commercial for Georgia football, and I'm excited for that. How many, um, um, how many Georgia players slated to go in the first round? About six. How many Alabama players? Probably about the same. They, they might have a little bit less this year. So maybe Most a third of the first round between those two teams. Yeah, and I, I would venture to guess the SEC will have about two-thirds of the first round. Uh, definitely the most players drafted I just in the first round. I Interesting. Pulled- I pulled up a mock draft and, uh, you know, just the first one that popped up. So this is, this is CBS and they've got the first quarterback going off the board at 16 and the second quarterback going in round two. So yeah. that's, uh, I feel like teams come draft night. I feel like someone usually reaches for a second round guy in the first round. So I wouldn't be shocked to see a couple quarterbacks go in the first round, but nevertheless, typically we're seeing five guys go in the top 10 and now we're looking at potentially one or two in the entire first round. And you're you're dead on. It's amazing how much less excitement there is when the quarterbacks <laughs> are not going to dominate this. Well, f- fan bases are fan bases are. Uh, it's exciting to feel like you're getting a guy that can transform your entire team. And we've seen that happen. I mean, Cincinnati with Joe Burrow is a perfect example. Going to the Super Bowl in year two after an ACL tear, but getting Trayvon Walker. I don't think any team feels like or any fan feels like my team's going to go from worst team in the league to the Super Bowl in two years because we got a defensive lineman. Well, let me. Um, so your uh, your pro affiliation, which is probably overshadowed by your college fandom right now. Right. New York Giants. And again, this is just the CBS mock draft. Ahmed Gardner going to the New York Giants quarterback right. at pick at pick five. That gets you excited? No, I mean I, I've watched him play, and both the DBs or both the corners for Cincinnati uh, were were pretty phenomenal last year. But you don't, you know, once they're in the NFL, it, I I don't know. Maybe he's the best corner of all time. I have no idea. But on draft night, it's not as exciting as as getting the the skill player or the quarterback or the 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 big time highlight machine. Well, you know, I'm a Pittsburgh Steeler fan in terms of pro football. And uh, the projected pick here is Tyler Linder, Linderbaum from Iowa, a six foot two, two hundred ninety six offensive lineman. And it's like you know, like this is the problem, right? Great for the foundation of the team, <laughs> not exciting in the not exciting in the least, and especially where um, what the Steelers signed uh, Mitch Trubisky as the quarterback. Yeah. You know, it, it's. Uh, there's there's no uh there's there's no glow on that uh on that draft for the there's not there's not but i mean a lot of these i've seen years where a team will take an offensive lineman when there's a quarterback on the board and and their their fans will be booing 
Um, sometimes, sometimes the GM knows better than the fan as far as the foundation. The foundational players are are required. And I watched my Giants draft. You know the the sexy picks with wide receivers and running backs over the last decade without ever taking an offensive lineman in the first round or a good offensive lineman for that matter and, and seeing them suffer. And so it's it's much like with uh we, we mentioned with you know LeBron kind of being the GM of the Lakers where they the Lakers got a, every offseason signing for them was exciting. Every single one was a huge it was huge to get Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony. Those were much more exciting. Even Dwight Howard, right? Yeah, much more much more exciting than sign than getting another second round pick in the draft and or trading you know one of your veteran role players for a first round pick or a second round pick or for a young player who's been in the G League that has potential. But you know sometimes in sports, I think it, it loses its excitement when the general managers are allowed to just do their job. Um, and yet that oftentimes yields the best product in the long term. But let me push back. Okay. Because I feel bad, and, and look, this is more of a reflection of the TV program that the NFL draft has become. Okay. And look, they do some silly stuff there, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. the, they got to hug Roger Goodell. Wasn't there something, was it last year, where there was an easy chair, and they let a fan sit in the easy chair? for the, I don't know, team? but I, all, I, all I'll say to our listeners is get ready for like at least 10 sob stories yeah. about how a player lost someone important in their life and that's what's made them into the great football player that they are well there's all kinds of stories and there, there's usually that camera that's in someone's home right the just oh, yeah. always thing that camera and yeah. someone's dropping but here's the here's the pushback on the analytics and the gm i feel like most of the time when a pick is booed or at least the the the, the fan base that's known for that is the new york jets <laughs> yeah and given the jets success Maybe they should just let the fans pick. Well, you're right. I mean, the, there, there's two sides to it. Uh, on one side, there's the over analytic GM slash management that will find a player that, to the obvious, like just anybody, any normal person could just look at the player and say, "Yeah, he's this isn't going to work. Like he's not a good pick." Uh, but they'll find some number and some stat that convinces them he's the next Tom Brady and he'll get drafted and the fans will feel justified when that player fails and he probably will. But on the other hand, there's the GM that realizes we don't have an offensive line. We've got to build that first and we've got to, we've got to work on the foundation of the team and the fans might want a star wide receiver, but it won't do anything if, if we have no offensive line. And so it, it goes both ways and I, I've, I've seen it, you know, I've seen the fans be right and I've seen the GM be right too, but um, ultimately, I, I just think I was tying it back to that whole LeBron thing of like getting the the big exciting pick maybe doesn't always play out as well as as just trusting the <laughs> the GM to to build the foundation. You're you're a hundred percent right, Doug. And of course, it's just I'm more thinking of I'm more thinking of the NFL draft as a show. Right. Like I said, it's it's largely become. The entertainment move, product is yeah. inferior when they move it when, around a lot. Now I'm not even sure where it's at this year. Um, but you know, I think it, I mean it used to be almost always notable of the angry New York Jets fans booing these guys. But it, it is look, it's a spectacular program. It is nothing but you know. And again, we 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 talk about the NFL year round because the NFL has beautifully positioned themselves to be the story year round and, and look even after the draft now like after the draft guess what we then head into the summer we have like a short interlude as the nba playoffs finish up and then the nfl is the main story again as they go to preseason yep and somewhere in there baseball's happening also <laughs> yeah but you know literally the nfl's got a major event or something that peaks interest every month or six weeks at this point it's um it's truly a uh, remarkable thing how much they've absolutely, and part of why I'm saying this is, and just a little bit of a look ahead, I'm going to begin publishing results from this fandom survey that this is year two, but this is going to be an annual event. And I've started to look at the data. And when you look at the data, the NFL continues to be both the biggest sport in America in terms of fandom, also the most resilient sport in terms of 
just about every demographic. It's truly remarkable. Everything else seems to be fragmenting more and more over time. Baseball in serious trouble. The NBA doing better, but again, sort of very, almost more of a segment-focused sport. The NFL is standing alone. And look, the NFL draft is probably on par with the NBA playoffs in terms of fan interest. That's crazy, Doug. Yeah. But it's just what it is. Yeah, it, it is crazy. I was, I, one last thought on the draft. Um, I, I said to get ready for a couple sob stories. Also be ready for uh, every player to either be picked apart to the point that you think they're going to be a complete bust or to be compared and or to be compared to a Hall of Famer. Um, you'll be in the third round and they'll be comparing their wide receiver drafted. They'll say, this guy reminds me a lot of Jerry Rice. Um, and they'll show one video of him and one video of Jerry Rice where they look pretty similar. And they'll have you convinced that you just got the next Jerry Rice in the third round. It's a beautiful thing. I love I love ESPN's product when it comes to the draft and how how they uh, they make it interesting and they they create a, an event out of something that on its own is pretty boring. Yeah, I mean the the stories write themselves. I was just looking for when the Bears' first pick what it was. So the Bears gave up a bunch for uh, Justin Fields last year, and again, you know. He's one of my favorite athletes because of the way the the way the media creates stories around him. And in this in this um, mock draft, they have the Bears taking a wide receiver from North Dakota State in the second round. You can almost hear the analysts talking about how the, the you know the Bears have a new coach. They need to get Justin Fields help. And this kind of maybe not this wide receiver, but they got to get him something from the wide receiver position. And so the NFL draft, it's a beautiful thing. But Doug, I think we can both agree. It's also hours and hours and hours upon of cliches. Hours of cliches. No action at all. The most action you get is highlights of action that's already happened, which has been available to watch for months. Um, and I think the most exciting things that happen are often don't even pan out to mean anything in the long term. If that makes sense. So a team will get very, like trading your all your future picks to get RG3, um, and then he tears his ACL in year one and is never the same player. Or or drafting Brady Quinn and and thinking he's the next Tom Brady. Uh, the, those are often the biggest stories in the draft. And sometimes the, the quiet stories. And I think of the NBA draft, nobody was buzzing when Giannis got drafted by Milwaukee. Um, and in that same draft, there were probably three or four trades or picks that, that made a lot of noise, but draft night is kind of its own event and there's perceived winners and losers, but you don't truly know who wins or loses the draft till years later. And then at that point, we've long forgotten about it. <laughs> yeah. We're thinking of the next year's draft. We're thinking of the mocks for that, that next season. Okay. We'll wrap here. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, much more content at www.fandomanalytics.com. Bye.